Hello, this is Mike Harbath with this week's Revenue Rocket Shoot the Moon podcast. And we are thrilled today to have our Director of Outreach on the call, Ashley Mattel, and uh, as well as our other partners in the business, Ryan Barnett and Matt Lockhart. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ryan uh, to uh, start today, and let's go. Hey, good afternoon, Mike, and, and thanks for, for kicking this off. And, and Ashley, thank you so much for being a guest here uh, today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ryan. It's a pleasure and a privilege, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, great. I, so today what we're going to walk through is uh, we have found that one of the most critical functions at, at an organization and this goes uh, within M&A, but with also within marketing and sales, is the first person of contact from your firm, who is typically a, a person, a, a, an outreach director or, or a business development rep or a market development rep. Uh, these are the roles that are really focused on uh, targeting a company, uh, starting to make calls, emails, LinkedIn introductions, essentially any kind of outreach to help bring a firm into the fold. Uh, at Revenue Rocket, we have an origination team. Uh, that origi origination team has is, is got a staff of researchers who start to look at target accounts and who we should go after. Uh, that research team develops uh, the ideal prospect profile and the list of companies that we go after. Uh, that's turned over to our outreach team, and that outreach team uh, starts to make contact into firms on behalf of uh, our sales team. So uh, essentially, this is a very common practice. You see it oftentimes at enterprise uh, software. You see it in enterprise services. You see it in more enterprise accounts where you've got a dedicated team to help build demand. So uh, today, what we're trying to understand is, you know, what makes Ashley uh, tick. And what are some secret sauces that we can put in the field uh, of that outreach function? And uh, with that, I'm just going to turn on Ashley. I'd just love to know, you know, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, I, you know, uh, what, what's a little bit of your background? What are some fun facts we can can learn? Oh, thank you, Ryan. So uh, just in terms of an educational background, I did go to university uh, business school. I got the foundations of business uh, from my studies. Uh, shortly after exiting university, I and had an opportunity uh, to work with an online service. It was a subsidiary that eventually a subsidi subsidiary uh, that came from America Online and uh, worked this celebrity scene. Uh, interviewed celebrities uh, from all walks, uh, TV, movies, uh, Basically, anything in the entertainment arena. I uh, had my own online talk show uh, with those celebrities. I had an interview column. And interestingly, there is a, a very interesting tie into outreach from that standpoint in that uh, we didn't have a, a guest booker. There wasn't anyone to book the guests directly. So it was, had to be a bit of a self-starter in that regard and uh, learn quickly how to make those contacts with agents, with publicists, with uh, studios, and eventually – became on a first-name basis uh, with uh, executives at all the major television studios and, and some of the movie studios as well. Uh, so really from from any field, uh, whether it be entertainment or M&A, uh, there's certainly benefits to having that kind of initiative to go after outreach. Well, wait a second here. Ashley, <laughs> I mean – you, 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 it sounds like you sort of rubbed elbows with the stars. Who are, who are some of the names? Throw, let's, 
let's do some name dropping here. Well, uh, just some of the stars I interviewed over the years. Uh, Sofia Vergara, as many people might know from Modern Family and America's Got Talent. Uh, Josh Duhamel uh, from All My Children and some of the Transformers films. Uh, George Eads, who was uh, Nick Stokes on CSI, as well as uh, Anne Nicole Smith, who she's, of course, was uh, quite well known uh, over the years there. So those are just a few uh, that I've spoken with over the years. Wow, we're pretty lucky to have you, Ashley. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> our you. I'm sure our customers are, you know, could maybe a little bit easier uh, to work with than some of those, you know, some of those prima donnas that you worked with. In the <laughs> yes, no, you know, it's uh, really basically there, a lot of them were very, very, very kind. You know, it was they're very cordial uh, to to speak with them and very open and engaging. It was really quite an interesting time in my life, and I. Definitely grateful for it. Ash, I'd love to understand a little bit. Um, one thing that we've learned through the years is when you were talking to someone uh, and you had uh, these interviews, it sounded like you developed your own uh, shorthand. And that essentially leads into something that has been one of the most interesting and critical functions of outreach, which is uh, really solid documentation. And I'd love to to hear, you know, do you, what do you think is important when listening to a conversation when it comes to notes and then conveying that information to someone else? Certainly. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, you've touched upon a very important point. Uh, you know, when you're making a call to a prospect, make sure to document it. I mean, take diligent notes as detailed as possible so that if you need to return to that prospect six months later or possibly a year later, or even two years later and beyond, uh, you can go back and read those notes, review that history, and feel as, as if you had held that call yesterday. Um, it, it's a matter that basically looking for those key points. Uh, were they inching towards, oh, maybe I'm looking to acquire a company. Perhaps you're – I'll just actually start that over again. Let's say, for example, if you were reaching out on behalf of a, a client who was seeking to sell their company, and that particular prospect was – fairly clear they weren't necessarily looking uh, to acquire a company right now, but they did give some indications that they might be interested in selling themselves uh, at some point. Just kind of getting a feel for what that timeline might look like, uh, you know, taking those key points down and making sure to establish a, a proper follow-up procedure so that at the appropriate time, you can reach out and uh, re-engage and Recall that conversation with the CEO or whomever you're the owner or whomever you're speaking with, and you know refresh them on that conversation and uh, see if we can engage at that particular time. Yeah, that's a it's a great point. What what I've noticed is that um, when you take a note in the field, um, you you typically use you in your I think in your notes that you write down in, in your notebook you might say LVM uh, left voicemail. Uh, but in reality, what comes back and what's shared with the team is that uh, you dialed a very specific number. Uh, you encountered a switchboard in which you used a number, one, two, three, in order to get a hold of the CEO. The CEO didn't answer the call, but in, uh, in this case, you left a vo the third voicemail. Uh, and you write that out completely out. You uh, know, um, a lot of shortcut could be there, but I'm wondering, is that part of the secret sauce um, when it comes to recalling and getting into the groove of calling so many people a day? Yes, Ryan, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It is part of the secret sauce. Uh, 
basically having an LVM, it, it, it tells a story but doesn't tell the complete story. Uh, it could be a situation where maybe this is the third attempt I've made. I've left a voicemail. Perhaps there was a situation where I reached the receptionist directly. Maybe there was a particular receptionist that I reached, uh, maybe Betty, uh, that I reached this time. Maybe the next time, maybe Betty was a little bit tougher on me this time. Maybe she wasn't laying me through uh, to speak to the to the CEO at that particular time. Uh, but next time, maybe I hear that I'm speaking with Tracy, and Tracy was much more cordial, or maybe there might be something that I may have talked about with Betty and she didn't let me through, but, you know, talking about that with Tracy, she might let me through. So every little detail helps. And as you say, I do have kind of a bit of a shorthand that I use uh, on my little notepad, but uh, in typing out, I, I want to type the notes out as if, you know, for example, let's say someone else had to jump in and make those calls that they could read the notes on that call and step right in as if they were on all of those calls in the past. And I, I, it's such an interesting thing to me uh, is is this is where something that's critical and, and Matt and Mike, I'd love to get your opinion on this is um, what you're doing in your role is to help getting someone to the next stage. So you're not necessarily trying to sell the company. So you're um, essentially in our world, if you're calling on behalf of one of our buy side clients, so you're calling companies that are perhaps willing to sell you're asking them a really big question of you know, what are you, you know, what are you trying to do with your business? Would you consider an acquisition? Would you, you know, how would you like to monetize your life's work? Uh, but you kind of stop it there. So I'd love to say, uh, Ashley, if you could, you know, help me understand what's a good pitch for you. And then Matt and Mike, I'd love to understand from your perspective um, what's required uh, from that business development role. Uh, in order for you to have this uh, uh, something that you can knock out of the park. Yes, yeah, so, so Ryan, just uh, to clarify there. So you're referring to, say, if if I was representing someone who was seeking to buy. I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that part. But uh, e either way, Ashley, like if you are talking to someone, <laughs> where's your point in which you may stop? For example, you don't ever really pitch uh, deal specifics. You don't even pitch any of our client specifics. And so there's a bit of holding off in order to pass that off to someone else in the team. So um, in a way, you're kind of you're throwing the pitch and uh, you're hoping that that pitch is going to yield something that uh, the rest of the team can really hit. So I'd love to understand, you know, what is when you're framing up a discussion, what's the ideal setup and uh, and the rest of the team? What are you looking for in that setup? Certainly. So uh, within the conversation, you know, framing it in somewhat of a general terms, of course, not revealing anything that would be confidential uh, to our client, presenting the opportunity, uh, say, for example, if you're representing someone who was selling their company, uh, indicating that that effectively is the goal, uh, setting up a general framework to describe the company without giving out too much detail. And then, of course, proposing that uh, we set up a discussion of between that individual with uh, either Mike, Matt, uh, or yourself to uh, discuss further particulars and see if there might be some common interest. Uh, one of the things, though, that I look for and one of the things I've sharpened over the years is paying very close attention to tone. Uh, tone is – it can be a bit tricky at times. Uh, you know, some people are generally enthusiastic and might always sound very positive, upbeat, uh, while others may sound a little bit more quiet and subdued. But uh, very key to listen to, to tone. Uh, you can kind of tell if someone's just giving you a bit more of the time of day 
uh, versus that they're genuinely interested uh, in the particular opportunity. And I, I do use that uh, as a judgment in terms of follow-up uh, within the conversation. But one of the, the key things that I've noticed is, let's say I'm presenting a, a buy-side opportunity. Uh, if a particular client is uh, seeking to acquire the person that I'm, uh, the company of the person I'm calling, uh, they might say, well, you know, I'm just not really interested in, in selling right now, but uh, might be interested in acquiring. Uh, so then it becomes a matter of, well, you may to turn the tables a bit. Maybe there's an opportunity here to uh, to see what you might be interested in acquiring and taking the conversation in that direction. You know, to, to follow on, Ryan, um, and Ashley and, and his team, I think, do an incredible job of this, is, is you're building rapport, which is building trust. And, and you know, let's keep in mind in this uh, business, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very, it can be emotional. Uh, you know, these, these companies are oftentimes founder led businesses and, and, uh, you know, considering, uh, the end of a chapter in terms of owning the business and beginning a new chapter as part of a larger firm is, uh, you know, can be a little daunting. And so trust is, is critical. And I think that Ashley and, and his team do a great job of building that trust right out of the gate. And that's important for all of us. It, it takes a team to, you know, successfully, uh, enable these mergers and acquisitions. And, uh, and we all play our role, but, you know, Ashley really starts that, that process. So in addition to, the the note taking so you know we can have an understanding of the tone as Ashley talks about as well as the, the content of the conversations uh, I think is key but but again you know starting uh, to build that bridge of trust that that hopefully we we all then carry forward for our clients and our clients prospects is I think critical. Yes, Matt, and actually just to uh, piggyback on something you mentioned there as well, uh, one of the key things in, in speaking with prospects is uh, maintaining professionalism. It's one of those things where if you're speaking, if you're calling up a particular CEO, they're not necessarily just waiting by the phone, you know, waiting for your call. They're immersed in many different things, uh, you know, respecting their time, uh, you know, checking to make sure that you're actually catching them at a time that's good for them uh, to speak. And uh, just as an example, yesterday, uh, so I was making a call to a prospect and they mentioned, uh, well, you know, I've got about three minutes left for the three minutes for this call. I've got a call waiting for me, but, you know, go ahead, shoot, you know, what do you got? Uh, and was basically able to make that pitch within two minutes and book the appointment uh, with about with about 40 seconds to spare before his next call. Uh, but, you know, just making sure that they have the time to take the call uh, and, again, acting in a professional manner. Uh, this isn't a time to necessarily get into a 10-minute conversation about your favorite sports team. It's uh, They're on a tight schedule and you know, getting kind of straight into the point uh, and, you know, making sure you reach your goal uh, within a reasonable period of time. Well, and for Ashley, for you not to bring up a hockey game, I mean, that's got to be hard. <laughs> oh, every call, Ryan, is it's a struggle, I tell you. <laughs> um, Ashley, I'd love to, you picked on something, um, and we've mentioned this a lot, but I think it's, you know, I want to make sure that it, the audience uh, understands this. Um, can you tell me about your preferred method for contacting someone? Uh, with all the channels that we have available, 
tell me your structure for getting uh, getting a hold of someone. I, I think it's relatively unique and uh, it's a bit of a lost art. So, how, how do you go? What, what's a, what's the appropriate channel and method for for wrangling someone in? Certainly, thank you, Ryan. So, uh, my preferred uh, method of communication is still, you know, the, the basic good old phone call. Uh, we're in a time now with social media, you know, everybody's texting each other, they're you know, maybe chatting online, but really don't have that kind of, you know, hearing the person's voice. It's a bit, as you mentioned, a bit of a lost art. Uh, there are folks who I've spoken with who, and just outside of work uh, who mention, you know, I really haven't had a phone call with somebody in the past couple of years, and, you know, really just chatting online. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm just chatting with everyone through through text. And, you know, hearing that voice uh, and, and having that personal interaction, you know, there's that old saying, uh, there's that old kind of phone company saying, reach out and touch someone. And really, it, it, it does reply here in terms of making those calls, uh, hearing a person's voice, it, it, it resonates. And particularly at a time right now where we're, we're so, you know, in, it's been a very tough year, year and a half, as everyone knows. And kind of hearing that, that human touch uh, through phone, it, it definitely can make a difference. So, so I'd love to, to expand on that. So when we typically have outreach, um, our first rule is to call someone. And, and the first and the reason why is, A, we want to be uh, we want to find the right person. I think in mergers and acquisitions, it's critical to be talking to a decision maker. If you're looking to sell a company and you end up talking to a salesperson about, hey, do you want to sell the company? It's a, it can lead to somewhat um, troubling uh, uh repercussions. Uh, so I think calling for us has always been important to find who is that key top person. Um, and then uh, also we just find that emails are emails are really easy to delete. So uh, when we ask to communicate via email, we certainly do, but it, there has to be tenacity in the follow-up. So a blind email to someone uh, from you know, without calling we find is relatively ineffective. But if you've called into someone, you've worked the switchboard, you've worked the exec, you've worked the uh, everyone else, uh, moving to email can be a little bit more effective. Uh, so you know, when we look at our process again, uh, we find that phone call, it's relatively unique. It's something that uh, uh, will be looked upon like postcards someday or uh, direct mail. But the the efficiency and efficacy is still very powerful in our inter interactions. Absolutely, uh, it's again as we said, it's really kind of something that's become a bit more of a lost art. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, CEOs can get emails, let's say hundreds, if not thousands, of emails a day, and sometimes they'll just sit there if they're very busy. It's like okay, sales email, sales email, delete, delete, delete. You know, and making that personal connection beforehand, it gives them a heads up that that email will be forthcoming. There are some calls, uh, just to piggyback on that, there are some calls where uh, we're speaking with a prospect, and particularly on a sell-side uh, campaign where we're selling the, the client's uh, business, they will request more information about that uh, particular opportunity, and at times we will send uh, information out via email. So it, it establishes that initial discussion where, okay, Keep an eye open for this email. This will be coming within the next hour. It will come from my email address uh, so they know to look out for it, particularly in a time nowadays uh, where we've had you know, different data breaches and uh, phishing emails. 
this will give them an opportunity to know, hey, that email is important. So I'll look out for it and the message will get there as opposed to being you know, blocked by a spam filter or kind of just deleted as, as junk mail. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, one other thing that we found is that uh, tenacity is extremely important. Yeah. I was looking through some call records the other day of actually one of our clients, and it took 44 attempts <laughs> yes. for us to uh, get a booked appointment and get them solidified, 44. Uh, if you look at our statistics, uh, only 9% of our screening calls happen within the first three attempts. Uh, and then a greater majority happen attempts between uh, four and 10. And if you get after attempt 10, it starts to dwindle a bit. Um, Ashley, you know, give us an indication on tenacity uh, as well as perhaps um, your timing. Uh, you, we can't call someone 100 times in a week. Um, or we could, but perhaps that has limited results. So tenacity and timing. No, excellent. No, thank you, Ryan. Yes, it's one of those things that I like to call a patient persistence. And it's important to realize that not every, as you noted, not every appointment is going to come on the first call or the first contact. Uh, we're living in a world now, particularly uh, with the pandemic, more people are working remotely. Uh, there's a lot more uh, general voicemails out there, a lot more uh, main greetings that you have to navigate through. Uh, important to keep on top of things. In, in this job, one of the biggest things is, is that patience. Uh, you know, it's basically if you're going to reach out to someone, you don't want to reach the point where you're harassing them, but at the same time, you don't want them to forget you. So keeping that, say, maybe one contact a week, one contact every two weeks, um, perhaps a bit longer if you've contacted them, you know, quite often. Um, but, you know, and changing up your message just a bit, uh, just, you know, to recognize that you've, you know, contacted them a few times, but keeping that name out there. Uh, making certain that they are well aware. I did have one example of a, a prospect as maybe a bit of an extreme example, but uh, I, there was someone I was trying to reach, uh, made various contacts there about once a week, you know, stretched it to about once every two weeks or so. Uh, person was not picking up. No matter how hard I tried, uh, they just weren't uh, picking up the phone. One day, literally about a year later, uh, I had called. I, they picked up the phone, must have recognized the caller ID, Without me saying one single word, they said, Ashley, I'm ready. And they thanked me for my patience and my tenacity. And, and they said there were circumstances within their business that, you know, necessitated not picking up that phone at that time. Uh, but he said, at this point, we're ready to have a discussion and booked an appointment right on the spot. So when you may get discouraged and feel, well, the voicemails are going into Never Never Land, uh, you know, those voicemails are being heard. Those touches are being made and, and recognized, and sometimes maybe the timing's a little off. Sometimes there are other factors at play, but keeping that regular paced level of contact, but not so much that you're effectively harassing someone, uh, but keeping the regular pace of, con pace of contact uh, can certainly reap dividends in the end. Yeah, that's that's great, Ashley. It's a, uh, we're, we're very fortunate to have you. Um, Mike, I, I, I there, there's something that you had mentioned earlier this week in talking about uh, this function in that it, it feels like a lot of technology companies were founded on great technology and you're so busy responding to leads. And there's a there's a place in which you have to actually start to go to market. And Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what's 
why is it critical to, to introduce um, a business development rep and perhaps even uh, ideal prospect profiling and kind of the SVP type process? Yeah, Ryan, thanks. You know, I, I have strong opinions about this. I think certainly, you know, we developed our SVP, you know, specialized verticalized productized methodology and implemented it really hundreds of times with IT services companies over the years as a way to help them get marketing effectiveness and ultimately be able to be proactive in approaching their market. You know, a business development function inside of the business certainly is part and parcel and a key component to that function. I think most technology companies uh, were founded during a time when, you know, you just needed to have, uh, you know, most tech services companies were founded when you just needed to have smart technical people and hang a shingle and the phone would start ringing, right? Now, you needed to be good at selling and, and good at building relationships and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, it was much more about having smart technical talent than it was about running a more mature sort of business development function. And certainly what we've seen and learned over the years is that the most successful IT services firms are the ones that are proactive versus just reactive. What I've just described is more reactive. Proactive has a very narrow target for an ideal prospect profile. Uh, that's why we you know, definitely like the intersection of the technology and a vertical market and recommend that our clients focus in that way as they go to market because it certainly enhances your marketing effectiveness. But much more importantly, as part of a more broad outreach campaign, the single biggest return on investment you will have as a business owner, uh, provided you've sort of optimized your messaging and know your ideal prospect profile, is to put a business development function inside of your business. Because essentially uh, that function is, is absolutely required in order to open new greenfield customers and new uh, opportunities. And I think it's very, very hard to grow a business, an IT services business, sort of just farming your existing base. You have to have new customers. And in order to do and have new customers, new potential customers need to learn about you. They need to be qualified for interest based on uh, their needs and ultimately be introduced to your firm. And as such, a, a role, um, you know, like out, an outreach role or business development function is absolutely critical to that ongoing success of a growing IT services business. Yeah, I, th I think that's I think that's critical, Mike. Uh, you kind of nailed it. You you can only take things so far by reacting. A and the hard part is uh, salespeople are not really raised, trained, um, or uh, they're just not conducive to a outreach role. So I think there's something very unique about an outreach uh, business development role that is this tenacity built with a ability to navigate and build relationships instantly, but not get invested into the sale. And I think uh, hiring for the role is really difficult. Uh, and Ash, I'll let, I'll let you kind of get some last thoughts in here, but what you know, what advice can you give to someone who is hiring a, uh, 
an outreach role and uh, we know what they look for in the character and uh, um, in personality traits that, that could be exceptional. Well, certainly. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, I would say it, it's quite critical. We touched upon this a little bit uh, earlier, but someone who you know, acts and, and sounds professional, of course, uh, just making sure that they're not being too kind of casual, loosey-goosey about the role, very uh, diligent. Uh, we've talked about as well in terms of the uh, note-taking and just kind of a background and uh, just on the side. So uh, as I discussed my background previously, I did a lot of writing as well uh, through my previous work with uh, celebrity interviews and uh, really having that skill to take those detailed notes. Uh, also, just really someone, and I know we've also discussed it's kind, of, it's kind of everything coming together a bit here, but uh, also the, that element of, of patience and knowing that the job, if you're, if you're easily affected uh, by a no, this probably isn't the job for you. Uh, it's one of those things where you really have to let that deflect off you and kind of bounce off you uh, and realize that you're, even though you get a no, you're one call away from that next yes. And keeping that positive attitude uh, is very important. So really looking for some of those qualities, I think, would make uh, for the ideal, you know, outreach candidate. That makes sense. Again, we're, we're lucky to have you here today. We're lucky to have you on board. Uh, I encourage any company that's listening to this podcast to, to consider this role. Uh, it has been uh, really game-changing for us. And uh, it... And I will say we, we support it. We've got research teams that go after that. We have systems that do it. We have diligent follow-up. Um, these 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 are the Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross type uh, Mitch and Murray leads that we get. And I, I, it's really important that uh, when you do get past something like that, that's a great lead that's packaged in the right way that you execute um, with vigor. Uh, they they've really put themselves out there, and it's as a salesperson or an M&A professional, uh, it's your responsibility to to go and execute with that, um, and uh, make sure that you can communicate results back to to the team member that set it up. Um, with that, I'll pass it over to Mike. Uh, any further? That's what I've got today. Anything for Mike or Matt? Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ashley and Matt and Ryan, for a great podcast today. I just I think it was great um, information sharing and uh, knowledge transfer. Um, I look forward to next week's podcast. Please tune in for more uh, pearls of wisdom uh, from your friends at Revenue Rocket. And uh, we're thankful for all you listeners and look forward to next week. Take care.